Everybody turn your Bibles to Luke, or actually not Luke, John chapter 15. All my pages are mixed up. Just give me a second. No, I told you. There's a lot of notes up here, so we'll just get through what we can get through. John 15, verse 1 through 11. This particular text, John 15, 1 through 11, has caused a lot of controversy inside of the life of the church. Between denominations, between believers... And there's a lot of confusion about exactly what this text means. And everybody has an opinion, but I want to try to extrapolate a truth from this particular text that I think is relevant for us this morning. But to be able to do that, we have to really begin to understand John, the book of John, in its entirety. We have to contextualize it with all of John. You cannot merely, and we've talked a lot about this, cherry-pick a scripture out and then find meaning, particularly when it is a metaphor that is spoken by Christ or the writer of John, that is a metaphor using for, used for us to understand what he's trying to say. And whenever we get into metaphors, there could be three or four different meanings. So you have to understand the context that you can know what is he trying to say. And I, I think this will help us as we move forward, particularly in this tree series. And I'll go ahead and jump in here and start reading this. John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, Jesus is saying, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So so I just want to go ahead and stop and encourage you this morning right there, right off the bat, that if you're bearing fruit, he's still going to cut you so you can bear more fruit. Right? This is what the Word does. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing bone and marrow. He separates things from our life that do not belong. And the benefit of sitting under His Word is not that we be gratified, but that we be changed. He is looking to produce a harvest, track with me now, of sons. Sons produce fruit. But don't think just because you're walking as a son that he won't prune you. Because you can be the best fruit producer in the world. He's still going to prune you a little bit. Because if you produce a little, he wants you to produce more. That's good news. Ish. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So we learn right there that he cleanses you with the washing of the water of the word. All right, I'm just throwing other scriptures in there, but... You know, whatever. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Hello, religious people. Hello, pharisaical people. It is not about your works. It is about something that springs up from being connected to him. The more connected to him you are, the more you produce. The more connected to him you are, the more like him you are. And God wants us to produce something that is not emulatory. He doesn't want it to emulate something. He wants us to reveal something. Revelation comes from who you truly are in the ins- on the inside. The, the number one way you reveal your heart is with the words that come out of your mouth. 
For he says, your words will tell on the condition of your heart. You want to know what your heart looks like? And if you want to know whether you're abiding, look at the words you speak in your house, in the privacy of your home with those you love the most. I'm preaching real good already. (laughs) To myself. (laughs) To myself. He said, I am the vine, and track with me, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. There is no condition. If you abide, you bear. If you, it doesn't say if you abide, you will bear. It says if you abide, you bear. And God is calling us to abide because he wants us to bear fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Of value, that is. You can do a whole lot of stuff, but nothing of value. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. Let that one sit with you for just a little bit because that's the scripture that causes problems in the life of the church. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Verse 9 through 11, we're almost there. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I want to talk to you about what it says in just the preceding chapter, at the end of the chapter, last verse. It speaks and lays context to what he's trying to say in this metaphor. He speaks plainly in the verse before, and he's laying context to a metaphor about this vine and branches and vine keeper. In the preceding paragraph, it says this, John 14, 31. I do as the world commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. In other words, as Jesus comes to the last hour of his life, about to commit everything and lay it down for you and for me, He puts his entire ministry, especially the saving hours, under the command of his Father. He will only do what the Father asks him to do. And he only says what the Father tells him to say. Oh, to live this kind of life. Amen? Amen. Not only to do what the Father tells us to do and say what he tells us to say, but to be able to discern and hear his voice at all. There are many of us that are doing what he tells us to do and saying what he tells us to say because we haven't heard him in months. But he had such an abiding relationship with the Heavenly Father that he would hear and do what he told him to do. And so he's speaking and laying groundwork. So, So to be able to understand this story of the abiding faith of a vine and branches, you have to understand that he's he's saying, I have I have done and Spoken what he's told me to do and to speak. I obey my father. 
I put everything under my Father's command. Everybody say Father. Father. Everybody say this just because I want to connect this. Vine dresser. In the metaphor, the vine dresser is the Father. Very few sermons. Matter of fact, I have not heard very many sermons, if any. I'm not sure. I've heard a lot of sermons. Amen. Right? I've heard a lot of sermons, but I don't hear many people talking about the vine dresser. Yet this text is really talking about the vine dresser more than it is the vine and the branches. It's speaking of the work of the Father. Speaking of the vine dresser. Jesus is about to give his life. He will become the bread of life. He will become the water of life. He will become the door of life like we talked about a few weeks ago. He will become the tree of life. He will become the vine with its saving nutrients. And the Father Himself is tending to all of this in this John 15. And He has seen to it that everything happens according to how He has planned it. Let me encourage you this morning, God has a plan for your life. And everything will happen according to how He has planned it. That that is from the youngest person in this house to the oldest person in this house. How many of you young people in here today see some old people around you? There's some older people raising your hand. You ain't that young. Dream on, baby. Dream on. Dream on, Tim. Dream on. We're young at spirit, right? But I want you, young people, I want to speak to you uh, between the age of 15 and down. Just listen to me today. God has a plan for your life. I don't get to speak to you much. I don't even know if you're paying attention to me, but God has a plan for your life. He cares about you. There, there are going to be some young people whenever you go back to school. We don't know. You may never go back. And you're like, yes! You know, but when you go back to school, that there, there are kids that are your friends. They have a plan for your life. Listen to me. Your parents... As much as they love you, and as much as they don't want to disturb you, they have a plan for your life. Oh, come on now. Some of us have been a product of us living up to what our parents failed to do. And our parents are pushing us to complete what they can never complete on their own. I'm preaching real good right there. That's, that'll preach. But if you live according to what your parents say and not according to what God's plan is for your life, you will miss out. His plan is better than your parents' plan. His plan is better than your friend's plan. His plan is the best. Have you heard his plan for your life? Because he has one. And he is tending to your life to get you to what he's planned for. Some of you can get there a lot quicker. You don't have to wander around and, be, and suffer a little while and go all over the place and go all over the map and finally he gets you back. Just, just listen, just do his plan and you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. Old people in here, am I preaching right now? Just do what the Lord says to do and you'll get there quicker. Oh, man. He is seeing to it that everything happens exactly according to plan. He says, I am moving in step to my Father's command. And then he says in ver- verse, verse 1, track with me, 15.1, my Father is the vine dresser. 
Now 15.1 is a metaphor of what he previously said at the conclusion of 14. It's completing my work to become the life-giving vine for my people. And my Father is tending everything in my life. My Father is the vine tender, dresser. He's the farmer, if you will. That may resonate with some people in Pleasant Hill. And he's watching over the vine and its branches to see to it that everything will be accomplished now and as more people attach to the vine. He is the dresser of the vine. Now, it's important for us to understand that metaphors are limited in their meaning. The moment you begin to broaden a metaphor and you don't contextualize it to know exactly what Jesus is speaking to, you can take out 15 different meanings that Jesus never intended to talk about. All right, this is important for us as we learn his word. I, I know this is very teaching this morning, but we need this before I'm going the next couple of weeks, and I'll preach and spit and all that stuff later. But we need this right now. You're like, Sean, we have kids in here. Could you not pick a better day? Well, I, just, I like to do everything backwards. That's kind of the way I do it. Now, metaphors are limited to the meaning. The moment you broaden a metaphor beyond what it's intended to say, it starts saying wrong stuff. Let me illustrate this in verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. I think they have it up there. I'm, I'm scared to look back. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus, in this particular text, is comparing our abiding in his love to his abiding in the Father's love. But the vine doesn't abide in the vine dresser or the farmer or the tender. It doesn't, the, 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 the vine doesn't abide in the dresser the way that the branches abide in the vine. In this context, the metaphor doesn't work. So you can go astray and you can begin to teach principles that it doesn't mean and it's not intended to teach. That's taking it where it wasn't meant to go. So you have to figure out what's the point of the metaphor. So our first question is this, and you can write this down. What was it designed, the scripture, designed to show about the work of the vine dresser? All metaphors break down. That's why they're called metaphors, people. So what is it designed to show? In fact, ask yourself this question. Why did Jesus even give us verse 1 in the first place? And why start with that? Why, did he, why didn't he start with verse 5? Why didn't he start with, I'm the vine and you're the branches? Isn't that what this paragraph is all about in the first place? Why complicate things when you have branches and a vine, but now you're going, you've got a vine dresser walking around outside this union doing stuff? Why are we even talking about the vine dresser? Well, all of this text is not explained by I am the vine and you're the branches. It is started with there's a vine dresser doing work to help the vine and the branches. Let us go to verse 2. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, my father, the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, my father, the vine dresser, prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So the reason Jesus is building more into this metaphor than merely branches and vine 
It's because there are two very important works that the vine dresser does that he wants us to know about. Evidently, our abiding in the vine and bearing fruit in the vine is helping, is helped by knowing something about what the vine dresser is doing. So what does he do? One, he does this. He takes away fruitless branches. The vine dresser or the father or God takes away fruitless branches. And then the second thing he does is he prunes fruitful branches. Let me rephrase it this way. So God, the father, the vine dresser, he cuts away the lifeless and he cultivates the living. He destroys, track with me, yeah, I said it. Some of us don't like to view God that way. Matter of fact, that's why some of us don't like to talk God about God that way. And matter of fact, let me just say this. I think this is pertinent. That's why we don't have conferences that have God's name in it. It's because we're uncomfortable with that part of the Godhead. Track with me. But God has a role to play in our life. And the reality is that us as believers, we want Jesus and we want the Holy Spirit, but forget God. I heard a quiet come on, and that's okay. I don't blame you <laughs> on that one. He destroys and he disciplines. Luke 8, 18, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken away. Yay. Notice that it is not what he does have, it's what he seems to have. Because there is a seeming to have happening inside of our church today. Because there are many people inside the church who, who are gifted, who can prophesy in his name, who can cast out devils in his name, who can perform miracles in his name, but they seem to be disciples. They're not really disciples. This is why it speaks in the Bible that gifts are given without repentance. That's why you can be doing all of those things and seem to be a disciple and one day get to heaven and he'll say, you prophesied in my name. This is the Father. You prophesied in my name. You did miracles in my name. You cast out devils in my name. You did all these things in my name, but I've never even known you. You aren't a real disciple. Go away. So be careful, okay, be careful to not judge people by their giftings. Because there is a seeming to have that is happening in the church today. That's good stuff. I mean, it ain't fun, but it's good. So let's take these two works that the father does or the vine dresser does and explore them one, one at a time. These two father works that are performed in the vineyard, outside the union of Jesus and the branches. It's outside the union. Let's look at that work, because that work's important too. And, and he does all of this work. You know why he does it? For the sake of the union of us connected to Jesus. It's for the sake of that union that the Father moves. And let's ask, what are they... And how do they help us? Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, my father, takes away. I call it cutting away. He cuts it away. 
It is a destroying. You're like, Sean, why do you have to be so toxic in your word choices? It's because that's what it is. He cuts it away and he destroys it. Why, why use the word destroy? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at verse, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and he's withered. It's bad enough that you're going to cut me off, cast me out, bundle me up and throw me a fire, but now you have to let me sit there till I wither. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Listen, this does not come out of the blue. This, this warning, this horrible Horrible warning does not come from nowhere. It is an extension of verse 2. My father cut them off and threw them there. And they are bundled up and taken to the fire. So what do we learn from that? We learn that his first work is judgment. And his first work is destruction. If anyone does not abide in me, he cast out the branches withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. So the first work of the vine dresser is judgment. Some of it now, all of it at the end of the age. Come on now. I, I don't know. I, I've experienced a little bit of his chastisement as a father here now. Can, am I preaching yet? Or you, can you at least admit that God, Father, our Father has chastised us a little bit? <laughs> Have you come to Sunday? Hello. He'll chastise us now, and he will judge at the end of the age. Thank goodness we're in Christ Jesus. Let me just, let me just don't freak out yet. I'm going somewhere. I see some of you, like, itching, getting itchy in your seat, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It doesn't come out of the blue, this warning. My father cut them off and threw them there, and they're bundled up and taken to the fire. So I say... His first judge work is judgment. It said, if anyone does not abide in me, he cast them out and they are burned. So this raises a problem that we need to explore this morning. Can, here's the question, write this down. Can a branch or a believer have eternal life, be living in union with Jesus, abiding in him, and then somewhere in their Christian walk, be lost and burned. This is what is taught in many churches. And honestly, in this text, if you do not know the context of John, it would be very easy to believe that you can be saved one day, rebuke him, and not be kept forever. Come on now. Some of you, we have people from all different theological backgrounds in here this morning. But just stick with me because I want to look at John in context. When I was in college, I had, I had begun a journey because I grew up in a denomination that believed, like, like every night I would kneel down by my bed. I wasn't a big prayer, but I would pray this prayer. Lord, don't send me to hell because I am a sinner. And I sinned today, and I would just try to list all my sins. And I'd be like, and I'd go to bed. I'd go to bed scared that I would die in the middle of the night and go straight to the pits of hell. Because my denomination taught that at any waking moment, you could, you could lose what you had found. 
And then, so I began this journey, and in and, and my personal, weak, feeble-minded ways, and trying to theologically understand, I was like, I'm, I, I don't have to, God, God doesn't want me to live in fear like this kind of fear of sin. He wants me to live in fear of him, but not fear of sin. And, and so I, I was like, you know what? And so I, I was not, I was Wesleyan, man. I was, I was not Calvinist. But I began this journey, and as I opened up his word, I was like, eternal security, that's my bag. I like that. And then I went to college, and I read this book called this. Uh, you can read it for your, for your edification, but I don't inc- I'm not endorsing this book. I, I'm against this book now, and I'm going to try to prove this. But there's this book called Life in the Sun by Robert Schenck. And it wrecked me to the core. It wrecked me to the core. I believe from the deepest part of my soul, at that point that I read that in Eternal Security, the book said this, there is no such thing as eternal security. And he based the entire book of Life in the Sun on verse 2. John 15, verse 2. Says this, after, after all, it really does say this in this verse, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's a branch in me that he takes away and burns up. So that, does that mean that you can have union with Christ that is not permanent? It exists a little while and then it doesn't exist anymore? Can we be in Christ and then accursed and cut off from Christ? Does Christ not keep his own? Let me ask the question more precisely. Given what Jesus has taught in the Gospel of John in its entirety, is he teaching that a person can be born again, John 3, 3, and then lost? Is he teaching... That you can be a child of God in John 1, 12 and then be lost. Is he teaching that you can be one of God's sheep in John 10, 16 and then not be a sheep anymore? I, I've gone through puberty, but I, sometimes it just cracks. I don't know. <laughs> the answer, I believe this morning, and this is, this is important because this lays the groundwork for where we're going. I believe the answer to that is No. And Jesus is laboring in the gospel of John to say, no! So how do we get it so wrong in the church? It's because we misappropriate the metaphor. And we don't look at it in its full context. God has a chosen people in the gospel. Can you just say amen even if you don't believe? He's got a chosen people in the gospel. Don't freak out. You're like, oh God, predestination. He has a chosen people in the gospel. He gives those people to the Son in in the book of John. He gives those people to the Son. He keeps those people infallibly. There is a kind of attachment to Jesus. Track with me. Everybody say it with me. Kind. There is a kind of attachment to Jesus. Everybody say kind. There is a kind of disciple. Everybody say kind. There is a kind of believing. That is not saving. I've been preaching it in here for years. 
I've learned stuff since the day we started our church and had masses of people standing up, not having a clue what they were doing. You ask them later, what did they do? They don't know. They just felt an emotion and stood up and prayed a prayer. They have no clue what happened because they did not weigh the cost. And we are responsible in the church to understand that you can create a kind of believer that thinks they're secure. That's not secure. This is why it, does, it, says, go, it says go make disciples. They have to have an understanding about what we're doing in this house. Amen? we got to take people beyond a feeling of Sunday morning and into a covenant relationship. Let me tell because there's, there's a difference between dating and being married. Oh. Yeah, you ain't lying. I testified. I'm just telling you right now. Like, I love marriage. I oh, know, my wife's looking at me like, it's Father's Day. Do you want to eat? You know, I mean, it's so... There's a difference. Our Heavenly Father is fine dating you, but He wants to enter into covenant relationship with you. Let me tell you, and that costs something different than just being in a day. Oh, man. And the gospel makes this crystal clear, even by the vocabulary that it uses. And the, and the difference between an unreal disciple and a true disciple, to use John's language is abiding. A true disciple abides. When you abide in me, you prove that you are my disciple. So let me try to show this to you. All I've done is assert it. But you need to see this in the scripture. You need to see this. It'll change your life. I'm, I'm here to encourage you this morning. I'm, I'm, I believe this is, change, this is 15 years of studying. Congratulations. You get a summary. It's Cliff Note version of my journey. So let me try to show this to you. John 6, 37. You can write these down and look at them later. They're going to put them up here. John 6, 37. All the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. John 6, 39, I think. I don't know, I can't see. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he's given to me, I should lose nothing. but should raise it up on the last day. How many of you feel encouraged in here this morning? Amen, that's good news. Now you have to read this metaphor. Reading the whole book of John. What's wrong with pastors today? I am one. I know I've said some dumb stuff up here. So I've actually had to go back and correct what I've said because I learned that what I said was not properly what I should have said. In other words, God has a people that before... They come to Jesus, John 17, 6. They were yours. You gave them to me. That's why they come. And they all come. John 6, 37. All 
that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I will lose nothing of all that the Father gives me. Not one branch, not one branch will I lose. John 10, 27. My, fa- my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Track with me. That's how you know they're sheep. They follow the shepherd. If they are not sheep, they cannot believe. Listen to me today. Some of you are like, I don't know if that's theologically correct. I'm good because I'm going to juke you right here with the Bible. (laughs) Because you cannot believe if you are not sheep. That's a quote from a scripture, John 10, 26. But you do not believe because you are not sheep, as I said to you. You got to read the whole book and nothing but the book. And the whole book. I don't know what to say next. I just, I, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. So help you God. <laughs> but all the sheep believe. They all come. And when they come, I gave them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I am the vine dresser. He doesn't cut off any of his own. He gave them to me, Jesus says. These are the strongest possible statements of of security or eternal security the Father gives to a son. Oh, track with me now. It's a son. It's a son. It's not a blade. It's not a stalk. It's a son. It's a son. He's looking for sons. These are people that bear fruit because a good branch bears fruit. It bears. Are you with me? It bears. It doesn't seem to bear. It bears. It bears fruit. That's what a son is. I will lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. So let's go back to verse 2. Let's go back to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, bear fruit, he takes away. He cuts off, throws in a bundle, and into the fire. So who is that? Who is that? Who's those bundles? Who's that branch? The key is to realize that in the Gospel of John, it is made clear that there are believers who are not true believers. There are disciples that are not true disciples. And there is a chosen 12, one of whom is the devil. And Jesus knew it when he chose him, and he knew it when he brought him in. Into the fellowship with the vine. To be empowered by the vine. To be empowered to do miracles by the vine. To be empowered to go and make disciples by the vine. To go out and do nightly works in the name of the vine. Judas. Here are a few examples in John about believers, false believers, disciples, false disciples, and Judas. John 8, 30 through 31, and he spoke these words, false believer, and many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples, indeed. Other translations will say this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So there is a true disciple and a not so true disciple. Six verses later, John 8, 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendant, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
So we discover here that there was a belief that was not a real belief. What about, what about disciples, Sean? I'm glad you asked. Uh, this one particularly is an interesting number. It's John 666. You're like, don't get into all that numerology. Well, it's just interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's a coincidence. Not. So this is what a fake disciple looks like. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Track with me. Because it was a hard word. You know why we can't tell? And why, we're, why God's having a hard time cutting off the fake disciples, the fake branches, the fake believers, is because we don't preach a hard word no more. We preach a word that makes everybody feel welcome. And I want you to know we got some dead branches killing the branches that are alive on the vine because they're sucking nutrients out of what God is. You don't have to like it. It's just the way I feel about it. And we need to begin to preach a hard word. If everybody is still with you that started with you, you probably aren't preaching the kingdom message. Or you're probably a butthead. But anyway, never, nonetheless, right? Okay. They were disciples. They were, they were disciples. Track with me. In this text, they were disciples. That's a kind of disciple. That's a kind of faith. So Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Or if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. There are disciples and there are true disciples. There are believers, and there are true believers. There are the 12, and there are a true 12. John 6, 64, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. Track with me. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray them. So my answer, I'm almost done. So my answer to the question, can a person be born again and be lost? Can a person be a child again and be lost? Can a person be one of Christ's sheep and be lost? Can a person be a true disciple and be lost? And the answer is no. The branches that are broken off, the branches that are withered, the branches that are bundled together, the branches that are cast in the fire, they are not true believers. They are not true disciples. And they are not truly His. The reason that Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the vine and you're the branches, but starts with, I'm the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser, is because He has these two great things He wants us to know the vine dresser does. I'm, I'm going to fly through this. And he prunes the branches. So Jesus is preparing the church. He prunes the branches. He's preparing us for defection and persecution. I don't have time to explain defection. Explain defection. Defector. De defection. Look it up. Defection and persecution. Defection happens on the inside. It's a hard issue. And persecution happens on the outside. He's preparing us for a sham type of people. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? How many is somebody like that? See, I tricked you because some of you went, you waited a second, and you put yourself up on a sham. Anyway, that was funny. Sham on the inside, but suffering comes from the outside. God says, Do not fear, little flock. The betrayers, the fake, they will not destroy you. 
I'm a father, a vine dresser that's tending to the vine. They will be broken off and they will be broken out of your life. My father is tending this vine. They're not going to ruin it. So fear not. Yes, there'll be defectors. Yes, there'll be haters. Yes, there'll be sham type of faith and sham type of people. And your churches will have Judases. Those who say they are for what you're for and with what you're with, but are truly not when it gets hard. Anybody can be for you for a season, but let all hell break out in your life and let's see who's really for you, who's really with you. And it says they will be broken off. Take heart. That's the first thing the vine dresser does. Here's the second thing he prunes. Pruning is cutting. It's a sobering picture for a branch. Hebrews 12.6 is the best exposition of pruning in the entire Bible. Hebrews 12.6 says this, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Track with me. You do not escape his chastening here in the earth. You do not escape the cutting here in the earth. Every son. John 15, 20, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So we learn from this. Track with me. That persecution is pruning. Oh, come on now. Come on. Do not begrudge the cutting of the vine dresser. What is cutting, Sean? Persecution. Whenever you're persecuted, he is cutting and pruning you that you may go from bearing little fruit to much fruit. That's what Jesus wants the vine dresser, sees the vine dresser does. He judges and he disciplines. Here's the new thing. He's saying that his ministry to us is like a vine with branches where the life and the joy and the peace is flowing. You might think that that is the sum total of growing in grace, but then he throws this on in verse 1, and he begins to speak about a vineyard and a vine dresser and this matter as to how we flourish. So here's what the vine does. He gives us peace. He gives us water when we're parched. He gives us life-saving nutrients. The vine is constantly pumping Jesus. Jesus, the vine, is constantly pumping this goodness to our life that we may bear fruit. And that is a very valuable part of the Godhead. Amen? But some of us want to use the Trinity as a smorgasbord or a buffet line. And we want to pick and choose the parts of God that we're comfortable with. And the parts of God that, we are, that are acceptable and the parts of God that are palatable. Who doesn't want to have stuff pumped into them? And who doesn't want to begrudge a father, a vine dresser that does some cutting? But it is the cutting that helps the connection to the vine be stronger so that you may receive more love 
and more peace. <laughs> Pastor JR, I'm going to steal this from him. I'm going to steal this for him because I think this is a good part to put, to put it. He had some rose trees. Sorry, I'm stealing this from you, but um, we recorded earlier this week. So um, he had these rose bushes that they were really beautiful and then they died. And then his mom told him, well, you have to, you have to prune those rose trees for them to live. Because if you don't prune them, all the nutrients goes out, but doesn't go down into the roots so it can be stronger. You have to cut so that it can live. The Father wants you to have life and to have life more abundantly, but it requires a little bit of cutting that you may continue to have life. Do not begrudge the work of the vine dresser in your life. I, I, I know I'm over time. Can we kind of just have a few more minutes? Just, just, what does that look like, Sean? Because let me put this to you in a way that's practical. I have people that will, that will, that because they are made new in Christ, that will refuse to take a good self look at themselves. And they're always, listen, it's good to be happy, but it's not good to lie about being happy. It's good to have joy, but it's not good to pretend like you have joy. There is a true joy that comes from the Lord. And part of the cutting is not begrudging when God begins to show and reveal to us that we have some, we're, we have a deficit of joy. And sometimes our words push us away from what God is trying to cut out of our life. We've got to be honest about where we don't begrudge the work of the Heavenly Father. He's working on the outside. We need to love his vine dresser work in spite of the pain that it causes us. And to encourage you, vine dresser does more than just cut. He tends, he waters, he does whatever it takes. He, he does whatever it takes. He does whatever it takes so that we might bear fruit. It's my final scripture and I'm done and I'm sweating and I'm stressed that I wouldn't be able to get through it. But here it is. Luke 13, 6 through 9 says this. And he began telling this parable. Oh, from metaphors to parable. Lord, help us. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in the vineyard. 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 And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, vineyard keeper, the vineyard keeper, we know who that is after today. Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I have found nothing. Cut it down. Why does it even end up, why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, the vineyard, the vine keeper, the farmer, he said to him, our father, let it alone, sir, for this year too. Until I dig around it, yay, and put manure on it. <laughs> and see if it bears fruit next year. Do not begrudge the work of the vine dresser, no matter how stinky it gets. That was a little double entendre. Anyway, we might. let it alone, sir. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. What do we learn from all this? External 
circumstances of the vine dresser working around an intimate connection of us and Jesus serves our internal sweetness with Jesus. That's why the metaphor includes the vine dresser. Because what he does on the outside serves our connection to the vine in Christ. This is important. You got to have it all. You're like, well, where's the Father? I see the Father, Sean. We see the Son. Where's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the water that goes through the vine. Come on now. Into like a wellspring of life. That wellspring of life or water came out of Jesus and went into you, the point you believed.